You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. From the author of the book by the same name, it's The Best Saturdays of Our Lives Podcast with Mark McRae. On September 1st through the 5th, in the year of our Lord, 2022, the center of the nerd universe came and went in Atlanta, Georgia, Dragon Con. And you are Mark McRae, along with his sidekick, Dan Clink. Well, we were there, and we were part of it, and we did a thing. Yeah, Dan, we definitely had a good time at Dragon Con. It was awesome. You know, ran into people that were not really part of the Dragon Con community that I did not see in a long time. And uh, we had a super awesome, excellent Star Trek panel. We had a little bit of behind-the-scenes drama happen, but everything came together at the last minute like the Avengers that we are. That's right. Damn it, like the Avengers that we are. And yeah, there's always last-minute drama. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a drama. (laughs) Exactly. It's just one of those things that when you are presenting a panel... Uh, sometimes things don't always go the way that you want, and you just have to be ready to have a plan B. And, you know, when it comes to Mark and I, there's always a plan B, a plan C, a plan D. So we That's had, right. We had our redundancies in a row. It was all good. Mm-hmm. Star Trek, the animated series. We did a panel about it last year. We did it this year, but it wasn't the same panel, was it? No, it definitely was not the same Star Trek panel. In fact, Dan and I decided to... uh dig a little further about this animated series and talk about is it canon or isn't it canon? Because, you know, there are some doubters out there, certainly none in the audience, which was cool. Uh, Gene Roddenberry. Gene Roddenberry, while going through and stamping a license, if you will, on all of the Star Trek properties back in 88, back when Star Trek was really popping to the next generation, uh, you know, the films were... Uh, certainly coming out in full force. It was time for him to get all of his ducks in a row, legally speaking. And from what we understand, he had a tendency to kind of, uh, on the fly, it felt occasionally, but uh, <laughs> he, he would he would say, this lines up with continuity. This doesn't line up with continuity. This is canon. This isn't canon. And he kind of threw the... Uh, animated series out with the bathwater, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he did. But what is really interesting, I think that you and I did a really good job explaining how all of it happened, you know, putting all the pieces together of the Gene Roddenberry stamp and throwing the baby out with the bathwater to how the animated series actually got back in the good graces of normal Star Trek canon. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, one, we dug back to quotes from David Gerald, who was very clear that certainly if Mr. Roddenberry took a paycheck for, for the animated series, then damn it, it's canon. I think uh, <laughs> I think to quote Mr. Gerald directly, they worked their butts off on that right. series and they, they were right. As far as they were concerned, they were writing Star Trek, plain and simple, exactly. animated or not. Exactly. Right. It wasn't dumbed down for kids at all. It was a continuation of the original series. Yeah, exactly, exactly. DC Fontana had a lot to say on the matter. Uh, Her explanation was a bit more diplomatic, I think it's fair to say. (laughs) But she she 
reiterated David Gerald. Oh, absolutely. And she really kind of like in between the lines brought up a good point about the concept of canon in that that really wasn't a concept back in the day. You know, they, they tried not to step on their own toes when it came to continuity, but the story always came first. Exactly. And whether the fans or, you know, archivists and lawyers 15, 20 years down the line would start to, you know, pigeonhole certain properties here and there, that wasn't really on their radar. They're, again, they were writing Star Trek. Exactly. And uh, we had a pretty good crowd and they oh, yeah. were totally engaged. And uh, they really asked us some good questions to the point where, I was thinking, I'm like, oh my gosh, after we did the panel, I said, you know, based on the questions that we got for the panel, I feel like the animated Star Trek universe really has a lot of great potential to grow. I mean, one of the things that they talked about was possibly having a mirror universe animated series, which I think would be awesome because they've done a lot of that in the comic books. I believe there was a DC comic book that talked about the mirror universe Uh, fans, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe it wasn't DC. It was some independent comic book company, but just, just the fact that in the comic book world, they're already thinking next level. Right. It would be awesome to see something animated in that type of, uh, uh, in that universe. Oh, totally. Yeah. Now I know DC forever had the Star Trek license for a very long time. Mm-hmm. I think also for an equal, maybe not necessarily equal amount of time, but for also a long, long period, it has bounced to third party publications, lesser known, uh, publishers have, have taken on the mantle of Trek. Right. And yeah, just in the research that I did, And really, side research. When we were looking for one thing, I'd go down a side quest and find something else out. And they've done some really rad Mirror Universe stuff in the comics. I, uh, during the panel, brought up one uh, where it's Janeway in the Mirror Universe, how she's a pirate. And and the Starship Voyager is a pirate ship. Uh, she has no loyalty to Starfleet or whatever she, you know, it's whenever it suits her. But the interesting thing hmm. about that character, even though she's ruthless and deadly, I think she even wears an eye patch in one iteration. Yeah. She's still fiercely loyal to the prosperity of her crew. Oh, absolutely. For the most part. And she's, for the most part, she's still Janeway to a certain extent, yeah. surviving right. in this mirror universe world. I think a mirror universe cartoon series would be badass. Uh, I really yeah. do. Oh, for sure. And uh, one of the other things I really liked about the panel, and, you know, and this has happened at every Star Trek panel I've done. The people that come to the Star Trek panels, they're super fans, and they're not just sitting in the audience. They are asking, like, really great questions. Right. There was one question that was thrown out to us that I knew a little something about, but not the whole story. Right. And the guy that was the, the, doing... The, the tech director, I believe. Yeah. So the tech director, Alan, who was behind the curtain, he basically helped us rebound a really great Star Trek question. Oh, yeah. Uh, about the animated series. Yeah. Yeah. No, we, 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 went, uh, we went for what we thought would be the easy layup and totally fumbled it. And this guy was like, right. <laughs> he was just like, Kobe... He was on it, dude. It was the question regarded the legality of the Gazinti. 
if I'm not mistaken. Correct. And how the author of that episode brought in that species from his own sci-fi property. Right. And moving forward to today, within the animated series are the Gazinti, is there still a legal question? And what you knew a little about, I didn't know anything about. This This guy may as well have started speaking like Klingon in German in pig Latin to me. <laughs> well, one of the reasons I knew about the character, the, the Kazentes, was because there was some flack over their uniforms that they wore in the episode were sort of like hot pink. There's and, a lot of hot and, pink going around in the, in the filmation. In, in the yeah. animated series, right. Yeah. And uh, so, but supposedly someone at filmation was colorblind, and that's why the yeah, uniforms right. came out hot pink. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And our man, Alan, uh, the, the Wizard of Oz, if you will, behind the curtain, as you were kind of going into, okay, I have heard of this. Uh, yeah, Alan was just like, boom. Episode, uh, what was it? Lower Decks, season two, episode this or that. That's been answered. That's a slam dunk. That has already been obviously solved. Right. And it was like, damn. <laughs> yeah, so uh, the name of the episode in Star Trek the Animated Series was called The Slave Weapon. And it was adapted from a short story, The Soft Weapon, by Larry Niven. And those characters, the Kazente, they were his characters that were brought over into the Star Trek universe. And one of the things that Dan and I didn't know was that there was a whole kerfuffle about the rights issues. Who owns the rights and can Star Trek use the rights? And Alan came to our rescue with a great answer and response to the point where during our questions and answers, Alan was also participating, and I think it was Wheatley that said, hey, who's the man behind the curtain? Right. <laughs> yeah. His, his name should have been on the playbill, definitely. He was, he, was, he, was the third, he was the third panelist, for sure. I know. I know. Yeah. Shout, shout out to Alan. But that's, that's, what, that's what makes the Star Trek panels really great, because when I had presented a panel... In 2019, someone in the audience, when I said that Star Trek the Animated Series debuted on September 8th, 1973, and someone in the audience said, wow, that's the same date that the original series debuted, and I didn't know that at the time. Right. And so the following year, guess what? That information got added in the presentation. And yep. this is what's really cool about doing a Star Trek panel. While we're presenting really cool information, we're also learning from the folks coming to the panel even more great, fantastic information about the Star Trek franchise. Yeah, no, don't don't try to dictate to a Star Trek panel audience. It's it's it, it either it's interactive or I don't know. Go go shill it on a podcast because Star Trek panel participants are amazing. They're great. Right. And Alan also lives not too far from me. And so one hey. day we're going to plan to get together and have some drinks. And I'm going to, we're going to talk about Star Trek and we're going to talk about forensics, which is a course that he teaches at high school and uh, something I'm really interested in as well. So uh, it's going to be fun. And so not only did we have a great panel, I made it an awesome new friend. Yeah, you did. Yeah. Yeah. We definitely made it an awesome new friend and forensics. I mean, I can, from somebody who shared more than one hotel room with Mark McRae, he uh, he falls asleep watching murder porn. So, 
Hey man, you're not supposed to be giving away my my oh, sleep hey, secrets. Oh, yeah, sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, the guy that does forensic files has a great voice, and something about his narration sort of puts me to sleep. So it's a good thing, even though there are bad things happening in the episode. <laughs> no, yeah, no, I know, I know. Hey, I fall asleep watching TV. Usually, I fall asleep watching nuclear war stuff. So we're we're on the mm-hmm. same we're on the same right. apocalyptic page when it comes to you know having those sweet dreams. Do you like podcasts? Then you're gonna hate Thunder Talk. Tasteless subject matter. Mature humor. Contempt for our co-hosts. Unapologetic social views. Edgy music. And total irreverence for the nerd junk we love. Are all reasons why no one. No one. No one should listen to Thunder Talk. Find us on the ESO Network. And all podcasting platforms. Or don't. Whatever. Dan Clink here with Dan Carroll, Media Engagement Director at Dragon Con, to discuss some of the uh, charitable work that the con does every year. Uh, Mr. Carroll, how are you this evening? I'm fantastic. We have Dragon Con officially opening within 24 hours. We are ready to welcome 60,000 plus people to Dragon Con here in Atlanta. And um, I got a good meal today. So all in all, <laughs> things are great. Excellent. Well, hey, we're not going to take up much of your time. We know that uh, it all drops tomorrow. So jumping right in. Every year, DragonCon partners with a charity to help raise awareness and funding for those in need in our community. Since 2013, the convention has consistently raised more than $100,000 for each of its annual official charities. What was the process that led the convention to decide that DragonCon would not only be a celebration of fandom and community, but a force for social good? Well, Dan, I got to say... DragonCon has always been a giving organization. Um, A lot of people don't realize that. One of the first things we did in terms of giving was create the parade as a gift back to the city of Atlanta. Mm -hmm. It was only natural that we would look for ways to contribute more fully in our our charity organization and in our community building. And the annual charity is very important to us. We match donations up to $50,000. And last year, we raised $140,000 for Big Brothers Big Sisters, which is an organization that means a lot to me because I was a big brother who volunteered for the organization uh, about 10 years ago. And and I really uh, got a lot out of it. But this year, Open Hand Atlanta just has been exciting for us since our first involvement with them as a Dragon Con superhero um, event. And uh, back before the pandemic, we went out and we had, I think, 120 volunteers helping out in those kitchens, helping out delivering food. And we knew that this was a special, special organization that makes sure that the people of Atlanta who are unable to get out because of illness or old age are able to um, receive meals and uh, 5,000 meals a day are given oh, wow. out by them. And and it, it just says a lot about the organization and about what it does for Atlanta itself. And it's a it's Atlanta homegrown. And 
we have always been happy. This year, again, we had another superhero event that went so well. It was so was so exciting, and we knew we had picked the right place, and, and they have been so grateful for our partnership with them, not just that we're raising money for them, but, but that we are partners with them, and we'll continue to be partners with them. That's amazing, a uh, worthy cause for sure. I actually wanted to talk about last year and your partnership with Big Brothers, Big Sisters of Atlanta. We, due to DragonCon's very effective health and safety protocols coming out of the pandemic, we had approximately 40,000 in attendance. Uh, 40,000 attendees last year. Yes, that's correct. Yeah, so that was that was certainly half from 2019 and what DragonCon had been snowballing to since then. Yes. How did you manage to go to, to raise $140,000 with half the attendance? Dragon Con folks are giving folks. Mm. And the one thing I would say is that with the reduced attendance, most of the people coming were what we would consider core Dragon Con long-term oh. attendees. And they responded. But the other thing I want to I throw out uh, just absolutely – a shout out to our charity department within Dragon Con because last year we got really creative. I don't know if you heard about this coloring book we came out with. I, I have one, at least one from 2019. Well, there's a new one coming out for this year. Ooh. Get excited about it. Okay. It's available online. Um, go to www.dragoncon.org or here at the convention. And um, we're so excited. I got to hold one last week and, and rifle through it. And some of um, folks like Karen Hallion and so many other of the great artists that, that have been part of DragonCon over the years were involved. And um, it's just something special. And it's efforts like that. It's, it's the fans getting involved. I think the introduction of the virtual uh, 5K Mm. Um, has been a big, big boost in terms of our our money contributions that we've been able to raise. Okay. And uh, real quick, how can one reach out and purchase that coloring book, give to DragonCon? Where, where would they go to do that? Uh, www.dragoncon.org has all that information. Look under charities. There you go. Okay. All right. Easy peasy, everybody. Uh, knowing that DragonCon would heal, heal the world, if it could, uh, how are these annual partnerships decided upon and formed? That's an interesting question. Um, the decision to go with a annual partner is actually done years ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Um, it involves the relationship with the organization, um, just how excited we are about their contri- contribution to the city of Atlanta, or at least the Atlanta metropolitan area. Uh, and there are a number of internal steps that I'm actually not privy to, sure. but I know for a fact that um, when the charity is announced, I ha- I know what the senior leadership, how they respond, and it- it's one of the happiest days of each year for them when they're able to get the word out that they've come to an arrangement. Um, as you may know, Big Brothers Big Sisters was also our charity for 2020. And we would have normally picked a different charity in 2021, but we did not um, because we wanted to stick with them and we wanted them to have the full immersive experience of the fundraising. So it's not a machine. It's people, considerate people. 
Drancona's family, Drancona's people, um, we're not a corporate convention that's here to promote uh, individual properties. We're a fan convention that's here to celebrate the properties with the guests, with the fans. It's all about that fan interaction. One of the hardest things about my job is to let reporters know that we understand they want to speak to our celebrity guests, but our celebrity guests, their biggest priority is getting with those fans, and we respect that, and we work with the agents. Um, we also know the fans want to see them, and we put more value on the fans spending an extra hour with one of our guests than us doing um, promotions with the guest. Our state and local emergency blood and blood product supply levels seem to be at a consistently critical level. On top of the charity work, uh, please tell us what DragonCon is doing to help solve that crisis. Well, we do have a lot of vampires coming in costume. (laughs) And I understand that there's a lot representing um, uh, what we do in the dark, which is very important, very current. Um, But what we're really doing is supporting... The best blood drive ever, the Robert Heinlein um, pay-it-back blood drive. And we've been working with Life South for many, many years. I actually don't have the number off the top of my head, but it was long before I showed up here. Mm-hmm. Working with Life South to collect the most blood every year collected at any convention of any time. Right. Uh, we, we beat the Shriners but we also beat any other fan convention every year. Um, We have received boards from the American Association of Blood Banks for our creativity, for what we do to engage the audience, and we continue to move forward. Every year we pass a new milestone, and even with the lower attendance, we still had an incredible crowd last year giving blood. Um, So we encourage everybody who comes to DragonCon, if you can give blood, please do give blood. Final question, Mr. Carroll. Knowing that we're going into con weekend, when's the next time you see yourself getting a decent night's sleep? Oh, I Friday. Okay. <laughs> yeah, right no, on. I am. Uh, uh, I mean, everyone at Dragon Con has different schedules. Uh, if you if you if you know who I am, you know that I tend to be up at five thirty every morning in a suit and tie, and I, I go to bed. Or in fact, I think it's my bedtime now. Oh, uh, what's it? What's it? Four thirty in the afternoon. <laughs> um, but we'll get through that. Uh, but uh, I I have the responsibility to be alert and sober and sane throughout the convention. So this is not the party for me that it is for everybody else. But I don't mind because the efforts of all those folks who were working so hard to put on Dragon Con allows other people to enjoy that party. And my role is not even to do anything. My job is to just let people know how awesome those folks are, how awesome our Dragon Con attendees are, and how awesome it is to come to Dragon Con. And, you know, Dan, I don't think we talked about this already, but this year, memberships will not be available on site. I heard. So, but they will still be available the day of online before you come. So, and there are plenty of one-day passes left. The Saturday passes are, are selling out fast. But, um, please, come and uh, enjoy DragonCon and take a look. If you've never been before, it's a great year. It's still, still with that 
thousand people capacity. We are still pretty, pretty much wide open compared to where we might have been in the past. And you'll be able to enjoy the new game section, our new game. You know our gaming move. Did you oh, know yes. that? Yes, so uh, you'll be able to enjoy the new gaming spaces. You'll be able to enjoy so many Star Trek guests, so many CW guests, so many Flash Gordon guests. Actually, we only have two, but that's still a lot of Flash yeah, right. Gordon guests. So what are you looking for most, Dan? Well, of course, there's Star Trek, first and foremost. Uh, for me, it's it's the friends. It's the family. It's you know, I have friends flying from all over the country. Uh, one of the podcasts that I produce, I met the t- two of my core co-hosts right here at the 2018 Discovery Panel. We happened to be, I was the first and second in line. They were the third and fourth. And who are your co-hosts? Uh, that'd be Beth and Kavika Allo. Fantastic. Give them my, my regards. And, um, yeah, no, I mean, there's so much going on this year. I, I know myself. Uh, I tend to, as I said, I, I'm working, but I'm working to make sure you guys know what's going on. And I'm working to make sure that the the joy that is DragonCon gets sh- spread and shared. And we are really appreciative of the partnership with the ESO that we've had, I guess, 12, 12, 14 years now. I don't know when when Faber started it, but it was a long time ago. It was a long time ago, yeah, before my time, certainly. I had hair back then. Uh, Well, and, you know, uh, I think losing your hair when you're associated with ESO is a thing, except for Mike. His hair is beautiful. Yes, and like yourself, his voice is beautiful. It is. Mike and I were born in the same hospital. No kidding. Yep. Us, Bon Jovi, and uh, Richie Sambora. So it was a four of us. We could be like the Beatles if the Beatles only needed two people with talent. (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Carroll, thank you so much for the generosity of your time and your spirit. Everything you do for the con, we certainly appreciate you. And thank you. And I know I couldn't cover everything during this brief interview. www.dragoncon.org. Find out about our charity. Find out about our memberships. Find out about the parade. Find out about everything at dragoncon.org. Hey, hey, we're Monkeying Around, a podcast about the monkeys. Almost 12 years old. Davy Jones was it for me. (laughs) I was having problems dancing and tambourining. I got overzealous (laughs) and overly excited. (laughs) Like we've had our own little version of Monkey Mania 50 years later, which is just crazy. Be sure to like and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. Check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and monkeyingaround.com. The other cool thing, when you go to Dragon Con, you see friends that you hadn't seen in a long time, or for a year at least. And one of the other cool things, I think for the first time, we got the entire Thunder Talk crew in one hotel room to actually make a recording for Thunder Talk, which I thought yeah. was amazing. Yeah, we did. We did. You can hear that recording on the Thunder Talk post Dragon Con episode coming to right. a podcast near you very soon. Uh, I mean, that's one of the cool things about Dragon Con. You know, it's, it's, you can at least guarantee that once a year you're going to see all your nerd friends in one spot. For sure. For sure. So it was a good show. Um, I didn't attend a lot of panels. I just focused on our panel and, right. uh, it was, um, it was really sweet. It was nice. We had a lot of good times catching up and hanging out and laughing and, um, looking forward to Dragon Con 2023. 
Yeah. I especially want to give a shout out to Leela McMichael and Andy Fairbanks, who were at our panel. Those are old Trek friends of ours. And it was cool seeing them. Leela had, uh, as always, on point, the best Klingon outfit you'll ever see. This, uh, this, oh, the, yeah. This side of the Beta Quadrant. Yeah. Um, so when our friend Anthony Orbizo forgot his mouse at the presentation, Diane and I went to retrieve it the next day. Yeah. Leela McMichaels was there like, oh, hey, yeah, here you go. Right. They're wondering who this belonged to. And they held on to it and. Right. Yeah, they, they took care of us without even knowing they were taking care of us. They took such good care of us. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And I got to say hi to Alan again because <laughs> it was the next day. So yeah. it's kind of funny. It's kind of funny. Everything just really worked out. And, you know, I thought that the traffic at the con with people wasn't that bad. It kind of felt like it was last year, yeah. even though there were more people there this year. You know, um, it was uh, it was a really good experience. And uh, we had a really nice room, too, as well. A little more space, a little more time to uh, stretch out. And, uh, yeah, it was just a really good experience. And I just really liked how our team, like, really came together. You know, it was like, for me, um, it was my second year at Dragon Con uh, presenting Star Trek with, with Dan and having our Thunder Talk folks there as well, it was it was just a great time to catch up and to give friends you hadn't seen in a while a big hug and uh, have breakfast with people. It was wonderful. You know, speaking of Star Trek, Anthony Kavika and I all went to a Trek panel that I I guess I would describe it as uh, Discovery with a side of Picard. Uh, yeah, act- yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the actor that plays Raffi, uh, Michelle Hurd, was there, along with Blue Del Barrio, best known uh, for playing uh, Adria Tall, right. joined in season three, and Wilson Cruz, Anthony Rapp. They were there, the husbands, if you will. <laughs> and that was a rad panel. What was cool about it is, you know, they talked a bit about, you know, a tiny bit about what we might be able to infer in terms of what's to come uh, for both of the shows. But it was really kind of a free-for-all, you know? Oh, they they didn't cool. have a lot of specifics they were either allowed to share or production-wise didn't really have. So they got to speak about some of their onset experiences. Uh, half of it was a joke fest with Wilson Cruz <laughs> at the middle of it all. Right, right. <laughs> and Homeboy is cut, dude, and he knows it. Mm-hmm. Speaking of cut, they were asked what scenes ended up on the cutting room floor that kind of disappointed you. Wow. And most of them are like, eh, they really can't think of anything. But it was Wilson Cruz is like, there was one scene where he, I believe it was he and Anthony Rapp, it's, are in, uh, you know, it's, it's, they're getting ready for bed. One of the things, you know, that they do in the show is, you know, they have the two of them brushing their teeth, getting ready for bed at night, you know, throwing out exposition, character building. And apparently in one of those scenes, he got to take his shirt off. Mm-hmm. And that didn't make it in the show. And he said that really disappointed him because he works hard on those guns. And then there was a lot of discussion about diversity, a lot of discussion about how they really are fulfilling, continuing, I should say, to fulfill Gene Roddenberry's vision and promise of a future where we're not worrying so much about a lot of the unimportant things we worry about and hold us back today. You know, you go back to the original series, you move forward into the 90s. It's, you know, the, we're, we're trying to move towards a post-racial, post-national society. 
uh, we move into Voyager. We're trying to go into a post-gender society. And certainly what CBS has done, they've gone full force into post-gender, post-sexual identity, post-gender identity, and how they're very proud to be a part of that continued legacy. Yeah, that's really cool. I'm sorry I missed that panel, but uh, it sounds like it was pretty great. Yeah, yeah, it was great. Yeah, we uh, we weren't going to say anything, but yeah, we're we're pretty pretty upset that you missed it too, actually. But whatever. Yeah, <laughs> and it would have been great to see Wilson Cruz in person as well, even though he was going to be far away on a stage. You know, yeah. it would have been pretty cool to see him. And I'm sorry that his his shirtless scene got cut. You know. I think um, I think the whole human race is sorry that his shirtless scene got cut. <laughs> yeah. Just wanted to give you the lowdown on what was up with Dragon Con, and I'm sure it's a subject we'll be touching back on as uh, the months wear on and we start jonesing for that next uh, that next September in Atlanta. Yes, another great 2022 Dragon Con in the books. Boom. There it is, everybody. We'll see you next time on the Best Saturdays of Our Lives podcast. Yeah, until next time. This is Mark McRae signing off. (laughs) The Best Saturdays of Our Lives podcast is a co-production of the Best Saturdays of Our Lives studios and the Weirdos Workshop. To get a personalized signed copy of the Best Saturdays of Our Lives book, go to thebestsaturdaysofourlives.com. This is Mark McRae signing off. Well, how do you spell Kazente in the first place? Oh, gosh. It's probably a silent T in there or some bullshit. Like Zinketi. That's another very little known Star Trek race. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.